To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know the voice. It's Rook. Joining me as always, the man who keeps it in motion, Mr. Don Moore. Hello, everybody. And coming to us today with Riot Force, everybody say hello to Austin McKinley. Hi, great to be here. Oh, Austin, so much fun. Uh, the pages you sent over for us to to check out, uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Um, very reminiscent of like 80s cartoon action adventure, <laughs> just just pops off the page. Uh, for the listeners, give them just a uh, quick idea of what Riot Force is. Okay, so there's the surface level. Riot Force is a action-adventure comedy series about a deeply misguided group of uh, federal police kind of characters that fight super criminals and and have massive collateral damage and and just, you know, are a, a glorious train wreck to watch in action. (laughs) It is based on the comic book I created when I was nine years old and I was watching RoboCop and G.I. Joe and Judge Dredd. (laughs) Just like, okay, this is it. Um, So, but, but I have moved on in my life. I've done other things. I've written novels. I've made films. I've uh, worked in comics in, in other capacities, but for this project, I went back to that, initial inspiration that that seed of you know what was it that drove me to uh make comics in the first place what was it about the way that i responded to the first things that i saw and read and you know so that the guiding principle of this has been okay does this does this make sense for me to do as a 40 something year old adult but also is this something that would be on a teenager's book cover that's right, Force. Yeah. Dude, I love the fact that this is something you, you did at nine years old. And in the video, you said you were selling this to your friends. Yeah. Yep. And yep. you come we, uh, back to it, it on years later. What? Yeah, and you come back to it all these years later. Yeah, yeah. Well, in some ways, it's it's never really left me. You know, like these these characters are, they have grown and evolved with me as I have uh, gone through my life, you know, and they, they have, um, you know, and I think a lot of people have this, you know, where it's like that, that first thing that you set out to create when you fall in love with the idea of, Hey, this is, this is something that is worth fleshing out and, and developing. So, you know, like they, they have been quasi literary characters. They've, they've been, you know, designed, they've been inspired by people I know, or, or whatever and and uh but right now i felt like this was if i if i do one more thing in my life it needed to be this and it needed to be uh the the way that i was initially inspired to to do it it needed to to be like those comics that i was reading in the 80s um and those movies that i was watching 
and uh, and then also kind of updated for our moment in time and the challenges we face now as a society. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I got to tell you, just from the first first page I opened, it immediately brought back a nostalgic feeling uh, <laughs> with like you know 80s cartoons, and then as I'm reading through, I'm like, oh. Okay, this is a bit of a bit. This is surface level action, adventure, nostalgia, but but there's also a lot of comments on where society is, how we police, how we behave, and uh, very interesting in, in your in your subtle, but yet, <laughs> but for those who are, are great readers and can go beyond surface, very much there, very much there for us to see. Well, I, I want it to be gentle, you know, like the, the primary goal is entertainment. You know, I just want to make something that would be awesome that me as a, an eight to 13 year old would have thought was totally mind blowing. Yeah. But I feel like you can't uh, address those uh, ideas, the, those sort of cognitively dissonant ideas uh, without at least uh, an ear to where we are now and and some of the things that we've gone through as as a society so you know it's trying to be sensitive to that trying to uh at least be aware of it and uh and to engage it somewhat um you know but i i never want that to be the uh the main takeaway the the first the first blush with it should be oh my god lasers yeah. <laughs> well, you definitely did that, man. I got, I got to tell you, uh, you know, the art, the artwork alone uh, blows me away. And it, am I correct in saying you're doing all this by hand? Yes. Traditional artwork. Uh, you know, Don and I love that stuff. I mean, don't get us wrong. We we both love the digital, uh, the work and everything. But sure. I'm going through your Instagram feed and I'm like, this dude's just hand drawn, hand inking. Uh, are you doing the same with color as well? Color I'm doing in in Photoshop, but uh, the idea, the sort of designing principle behind the color is that I'm doing things in 25% increments of CMYK. So for uh, if you're not if if a listener isn't familiar with the printing process, you know those are those are the four colors that comics were printed in, and they were you know the color separations were these line screen you know like like they would do the color separations by hand. So my rendering is maybe a little bit more detailed than what would uh, be done by hand, but the palette is true to what you might have seen in a comic um, prior to like 1992. Wow. Uh, as two guys who work in, worked in printing for years, mm-hmm. I think I think Don will agree with me that we can we can appreciate that. <laughs> it's always nice when you when I show my artwork to a printer and they're like, oh, somebody who gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's it's comics is a print medium. There are lots of digital uh uh, bells and whistles that you can add. There's lots of, you know, processes that make things easier for us, but I really feel like it's a medium that evolved for print. You know, there's a reason that it's got a black holding line and, you know, bright colors that don't have too much black in them, 
you know, it's it's meant to be readable even when it's poorly registered on newsprint, you know, <laughs> like that's the medium. And so that's what I'm really uh, wanting to uh, make the most of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, also, have, go ahead. I have to say, when I was looking through your stuff, I kept thinking of, again, 80s action shows, animation, which, you know, mm-hmm. is kind of what you're going for. But I kept thinking, I'm missing the theme song. <laughs> and then when I saw the video, the first video where you introduced the strip, uh-huh. I said, well, there you go. He's got that, too. Because <laughs> <laughs> the logo itself, just just the logo, it screams all this stuff. But you're waiting for to hear the, the theme song in the background. Uh-huh. And I have to admit. As much as I love the strip, I was rooting for the protagonist. <laughs> that was my favorite part of the whole thing was the protagonist, and um, okay. I was kind of upset that there was no no conclusion on that zero issue. Nevertheless, <laughs> ah, well, uh, there's there's a lot more where that came from. <laughs> how long how long do you plan to run this? Uh, the series is that that I have planned. The story that I've you know plotted out is uh, eleven issues, including the zero issue. Oh. And I have uh, I just wrapped issue seven. I'm about halfway through drawing issue eight. Damn. Um, so hey, it's now, getting there. Correct me if I'm wrong. This 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 hit shelves distribution with Diamond and everybody uh, later this month. In November. That is the plan. The first issue uh, is supposed to come out at the end of November. And I think the way that that we were initially planning it, uh, you know, we broke it into volumes. So the the first uh, three issues after the zero issue make a essentially a first act. Nice. And the next issues will be will be another series later. Um However, we wind up collecting them so that they're designed to be done in mini series. The publisher basically told me that, uh, you know, orders fall off significantly after the first issue. And so we, you know, we do one shots, we do mini series, you know, we don't just uh, commit to a year's worth of comics until we see how it's going to sell. So that's the it's it's designed to be sort of compartmentalized but for myself as a as a professional i'm just going to do it and however it matriculates into the into the world uh we'll sort it out but i'm making the the issues one way or another yeah yeah well i notice you're not you're no stranger to kickstarter so i noticed been involved you've been, in a few yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you've been involved in a few um one of which uh with video games did I see yep. that right? Uh, there, there have been a couple. Uh, so, I was, I was part of a, um, a video game documentary film hybrid project in, uh, in 2014 that turned into a uh, game making software company. Um, but that's sort of where uh, some of the impetus for Riot Force came from because uh, the theme of this movie documentary project that I made with a buddy here in in Sarasota, um, somebody I met as a a cinematographer for one of my short films, um, 
he wanted he had this property that was his childhood dream and it was a nintendo game and it didn't scratch the itch unless it was on a gray cartridge playable on the original nintendo entertainment system yes. and so you know as he was looking into this he found that there were people now you know 30 years later who had reverse engineered that system and were programming new games for it and we did a documentary film where we uh, interviewed them all, and we also made a video game that was his uh, video game. And there, uh, we released what we initially made as uh, as a smaller scope thing. But as we were going, we made a lot of in-house software tools. And uh, before there was much game to show, people saw the the tools that we had created and were like, "How can I get that?" You know, your game looks great and I'm excited for you, but I want to make my game with those tools. And we said, well, this is probably uh, what we should be, be doing. Um, so so we uh, we did another Kickstarter uh, for the software itself. And that was sort of just to polish it up and make it uh, accessible for um, for end users because it was kind of bashed together for our purposes in-house. Um, so we kind of made it available for public consumption and we have had upwards of 60 commercial releases of people using the software to make new Nintendo games. Um, something like 10,000 active users of the software and nice. the movie came out too. We, we got a, we yeah. won a couple of awards for, for the film best documentary at, at, uh, um, I think it was Gen Con, um, things like this. So, so that was an interesting, you know, Kickstarter video game project that directly fed into Riot Force because one of the things we learned in that uh, journey, because we we went all over the country uh, talking to people about uh, their drive to make an insanely niche, highly technical thing just to sort of pay off on that initial creative impulse that we all have when we're when we're children and one of the things that i'm super proud of about the documentary is when we would screen it people would say they saw how it related to the creative process beyond just making a video game it could be anything you know they they would say you inspired me to uh pick up that album that i'd never finished recording or you know, make that comic book that I used to make in middle school and, and all this kind of stuff. And and so, you know, as I as I saw what that did for people, I was like, well, I guess I should probably make that comic book that I'd never finished in middle school, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to do it. I mean, you know, uh, one project leads to the next and inspires mm -hmm. the next. I mean, you know, you said you got 10,000 people uh, using the software. Yes. That's a lot of people to have inspired with this. I mean, congratulations sure. on that. That's fantastic. Um, I'm adding one more to your list. Uh, <laughs> my my son was one of the first uh, graduating class from the local high school that did the video game design and programming course. Oh, fantastic. And I sent him over the link to the software, and I was like, you got to take a look at this. <laughs> and he's just – he's like – I've been looking for somebody who did this. <laughs> so uh, I can pretty much guarantee you have another user on that uh, very awesome. shortly. 
<laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That, one of the really fun avenues that the software has been uh, has gone down. My my partner Joe uh, taught video game design at the high school level in uh, Baltimore. And so he's really interested in the education space and he has used it as curriculum for for classes. And uh, there have been another number of other instructors that have uh, that have used it because the, the whole idea behind the software is that it allows you to kind of creatively back into the thing. You can start with sort of a functional game engine and start swapping out graphics and start, you know, wireframing levels and building screens right away which is not something that, you know, it's something that you can do in a game maker or a Unity or, or something else with a modern system. But for the NES, that's not how any of that worked. Yeah. There was no object-oriented programming that the game engine is functionally an operating system. You know, it's telling the, the computer how to draw sprites to the screen. You know, so it's very low-level functionality. And so to be able to start with, uh, a, a template essentially for different genres of games and learn as you go um, that was that was the breakthrough and that's what what people really respond to yeah yeah and in in looking at the stuff on on the game site I noticed future force which has yes. striking similarities to riot force in its artwork I, I must say. Yeah, well, so so yeah, Riot Force is sort of already a video game. If you, <laughs> if you consider one of the the sort of burner templates that come with the Nestmaker software, um, yeah, the, those those characters for the side-scrolling uh, brawler module are uh, Riot Force characters. Yeah, yeah. The, the, in middle school, the title was Future Force. I couldn't I couldn't live with that. It wasn't modern enough uh, it, it just felt a little bit generic so um so when i when i got to doing the comic book i was like oh, i think i want to freshen this up in a different way um it was still an acronym but yeah this one's better <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about comic books you read them when you were younger have you continued to read comics or is this something you just thought i want to do a comic that i did before i read comics uh sort of uh sporadically i i read comics that my friends create um i i buy them at shows when i'm exhibiting at shows i don't actively collect them i don't buy them every week i'm, I'm not following any series right now i don't have the space in my house <laughs> yeah, yeah i understand that. um well as fellow floridians we know how that feels <laughs> yeah well, it's um, um it's something i i find interesting I'm interested in because I was just reading today. Uh, two big stores in Los Angeles are closing, comic stores, mm -hmm. and uh, you hear this a lot. Um, I I I have trouble balancing some of this because comic stores seem to be going away. I miss seeing comics in convenience stores, as we all remember, you know, supermarkets sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's that's a big thing. But at the same time, most of our time these days in the show is talking to creators like you that has a new comic. Mm -hmm. And always you know, on Kickstarter, always getting supported. Right. Um, I had heard some professional make a comment 
a long time ago that everybody's scared the comics industry is going to collapse. And he said, I think that would be the best thing in the world to happen. <laughs> are not going to go away. Right. Certainly um, the medium has uh, plenty of interest and drive uh, for people to create. And I think, you know, one of the reasons is that it's one of the few ways that you can uh, do a fully realized world as a creative with a very small team you know like if you're going to make a film you need a lot of people even if it's a local film on the shirt on the uh low budget end you still need you know 10 to 15 people to make it happen um so so yeah comics are they continue to be a great way if you have a vision and a story to tell and it has a visual component and you want to have that that interplay between words and pictures um it's very accessible medium and uh you know i think on the on the retail end the the real question is how do we make it accessible to the people that it uh that are drawn to it you know like I I bought comics at the newsstand when I was a kid, you know, like they were an impulse buy along with bubble gum and, uh, you know, water guns. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so, so I mean, like, but there, there are also uh, different kinds of stores that are getting that new reader traffic as well. There's a great store and since you're local, you could check this out. There's a great store in Bradenton called Bat City Comic Professionals. Yeah. Are you familiar with it? Uh, I'm, I'm familiar because of you and your Instagram now, actually. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing store, and the and the owners are, are fantastic. They are recent tr- transplants from Texas, but they run the store as a nonprofit. And it has a strong uh, education component. So, you know, they have a comic book store and you can go in there and buy your monthly books. But they also do talks at libraries and they have classes for kids. And it's a it's a, like a community space um, that is filled with amazing comic books. And they are huge indie supporters, you know, like they have books from the major publishers, but they also have a ton of indie stuff um, because their mission is to introduce people to great comics. Wow. Yeah is fantastic yeah, that's um and yeah what rook said that's um when i moved to florida one thing i was surprised about is unlike other places i've lived at the comic stores back in the 80s basically just had the same stuff you could get on the newsstand you know right. comic stores they were just a plethora of awesome mm-hmm. you find low low print run comics you know um independent comics underground comics uh foreign comics sure but here, not so much. It was play it safe. And hmm. I, I just, but I hear about stores like you were just talking about. Um, they seem to be exceeding. Uh, it makes me happy. Um, because that's the thing I think about was, it seems to me like people still like those kids' comics, like uh, what, Raina Talgemeier. I've never read her books, but I've always read that she's the top selling artist, you know, comic artist in the United States. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of um, comics that are basically printed as trades for kids and young adults. Yep. Uh, but I don't see them in the stores. I mean, yeah, comics. I mean, a lot of them uh, don't get distributed through the direct market. They they are you know done by other publishers in the the children's young adult section of 
of bookstores, um, which have their own challenges, but but there's a lot more uh, graphic medium type publications in that section of the bookstore these days. So yeah, it makes sense. So there's there is an interest to it. It's just yeah. You know, we always make a joke about comic stores. It's kind of like um, magic shops in the 60s and 70s. Sure. Um, uncomfortable places. <laughs> and, um, you know, you have to be one of us to want to go into one. And um, yep. I never thought about it. We were in, my wife and I were in Oklahoma and went to this one shop. And it was nice. The guy that worked there was nice. It was well mm -hmm. lit. It had nice music in it. And um, it was kind of set up as a boutique. And um, But I found some random stuff I was looking for and you know we stayed and talked to her for a while but my wife said she's never ever complained you know she just goes in with me because I want to see the shop mm -hmm. she says that was a nice place the man was nice as well lit and I started realizing I've been taking you in some seedy little hole <laughs> and uh you know it's if you're one of us it's heaven but if you're not it's <laughs> right don't right. go in there so. Yeah, there's definitely room for for a, a more um, evolved retail concept when it when it comes to comic book stores, um, and the and the the role that I think they still can play is somebody who specializes in this medium that can help you discover things. Like it's always sort of yeah. disappointing to me when I go into a store and all they've done is sort of uh, order the low hanging fruit that they know it is going to sell and you know, they're maybe it's, you know, only 20% of their business, but it's just all the usual suspects and you're not going to discover anything if you're there. And yeah. people say, well, they can order whatever you want. Well, yeah, if you know what to ask for. Yes. But, you know, I go into a store to, you know, thumb through the shelves and go, oh, my God, what's this? I've never heard of this before, you know, and, and uh, you know, be, have somebody who knows what it is because they stocked it. Um and and have that conversation, you know, because yeah. uh, you know they they are they are a place where the medium can uh, have boosters. Yeah, and, and you know this is um, <clears throat> my previous comic book shop was this way. Uh, the staff in there, you know, got to know you, got to that got talking to a anybody, not just regulars, mm -hmm. anybody that came in, and I discovered thanks to thanks to Brittany, Courtney, uh, you know, Kayla, these girls would recommend books to me that I would have never looked at. Uh, you know, I would have walked past and been like, oh, that looks cool, but I have no idea. What, you know, oh, let me go get my, my five Marvel titles for the week. <laughs> you know, uh, they could direct people in a way to read books that, uh, you know, I never thought I'd be reading Sunstone, a lesbian BDSM love story, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but they they brought it to me and they're like, hey, have you checked this out? Have you sure. checked out? The, uh, amazing books, amazing stories. Uh, and that's one of the things that took me away from that shop when ownership changed. It was always, hey, have you read the new Superman? Hey, I got 15 covers of the new Batman. Hey, Marvel just <laughs> dropped the third third uh, Wolverine story this week. And I'm like, uh, no, thank you. You know, I'm looking for the yeah. weird, the unusual, the the, the stuff right. that doesn't hit, you know, million dollar sales. <laughs> but to yeah. some people, that's heaven. I mean, I I also understand that there's an audience for that too. 
And if sure. there was, God forbid, there's any store that just carried books I liked because they'd go out of business within a week. <laughs> you know? um, so, I mean, I, I understand that. It's just, I guess to me, there's so many different kind of comics. And we've had one guest on the show that was trying to explain to people, comics isn't a genre. It's exactly. a form. And, right. you know, comics and cover, you know, it cut and cases everything. You know, um, any kind of comic, anything kind of subject you like. But you go into big bookstores, usually now they have graphic novel sections. Before, it was always humor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Will Eisner, when he did Contract for God, it sold well at first. And then it stopped. And he's going to bookstores in New York. And they said, yeah, we had the new arrivals that sold really well. But after that, they were trying to put it somewhere. It was a comic. They put it in humor. And people started complaining. This is funny. Yeah. So where did you put it? Ended up in a cardboard box in the back. They didn't know what to do with it. You know, everybody thinks comics. Like I said, there's a lot of different kinds of comics. What do you do with them? Sure. Well, you know, like people have always kind of advocated. They should just be in the part of the bookstore that, uh, you know, wherever they would fit uh, thematically. And that's. That's one way of looking at it. But, you know, like it is a different reading experience. You, you kind of want to have them in there. Uh, you know, like if you're looking for a prose experience, you're not necessarily looking for a, yeah. a words and pictures. But, you know, like it, it's a just an example of how many different genres, comics and compasses. Um, I just recently finished a story with uh Dirk Manning, we did a one shot for his Love Stories to Die For series, which unlike the rest of his stuff that is uh, maybe more like horror or urban fantasy, uh, this was a gothic romance. And I realized as I was, you know, doing the viz dev for it, I don't think I've ever drawn a gothic romance before. And (laughs) how I approach the character designs and even just the, the way that I'm uh, trying to uh, communicate this story tonally um, is, it was very different, and it was it was an interesting challenge uh, because I tend to lean towards the the funny with my character designs, even if the topics that I'm addressing are kind of edgy. You know, like I like that justifi- uh, juxtaposition of um, you know it's a little bit goofy looking. Um, and then something kind of serious is happening and, and there's a there's a tension there. Um, but to design characters that were uh, legitimately uh, potentially monstrous, uh, le- but also legitimately attractive and uh, and something that the audience could empathize because, you know, this this story um, has a, a, a very deep emotional element to it. Um, something that you can take seriously for, like, legitimately seriously, not just kind of right. tongue-in-cheek seriously. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a new challenge for me, and I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. yeah. In your character design, you, they are very fun, very great to look at. Um, almost, I, I, I anticipate an action figure from (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite uh, things that somebody said when they looked at it is I can't believe I've never heard of the awesome toy line on which this comic is clearly. (laughs) That's what it seems like. That's when you read it, 
it it seems like something from that era. Mm-hmm. That's why I was making a joke, looking at the logo, reading the thing. I kept thinking, why can't I think of the theme song? I mean, <laughs> I wasn't thinking I needed a theme song. It seemed like there should be one. It was already there. It's it one of my feel- favorite compliments when I show people my art and they say, I can hear this. Yes. And yes. and that's absolutely what I'm going for. I'm 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 wanting it to uh, to come alive. And uh, to me, if I'm creating a sense impression that absolutely isn't there, um, then that's great. That's that's doing its job. It's you know talking about that. Some of the designs Rook had mentioned, like the the antagonist, the motorbike. Mm-hmm. I've seen designs, you know, on, online, you know, concept designs and, you know, even prototypes. You have something like that. I've seen some of the ideas for it, but you've got your own thing. You have a world that people live in. You have technology that should exist, but maybe doesn't exist yet. And, um, or maybe like, shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, well, but like I said, I'm reading it. It's not like. It's not like in the, I guess, people in the past when they'd read Buck Rogers in the newspaper with jetpacks and stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. This is, it's still stuff that doesn't exist, but it seems like there is something out there. I just haven't seen it yet. And it's lived, but you have your own way of doing things. You have your own technology, your own character designs. I, I love the fights. I love <laughs> the action to it. And I mean, when you say you kind of have a, a tongue-in-cheek humor, you do. But yeah, I was in the ride just jumping up and down, although I was heavily rooting for the protagonist. And I've never done that. I never liked the bad guys. <laughs> you, you're the one that did it to me, pal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how much how much thought and research do you put into some of the design work? Because I noticed the piece uh, that you sent us uh, talked about the visors that they're mm-hmm. on. How much research are you doing into these kinds of pieces? Um, it's soft. It's soft sci-fi. You know, like like it's very much. Um, all the designs are a hybrid of something that that makes sense for the story, or is based on something that I thought was cool when I was a teenager, and is something that is that lends itself to the style I'm drawing in. Um, you know, I, uh, I started out the series uh, using like SketchUp to, to create perspective references for myself and, and things like this. And I found that um, Riot Force uh, isn't about rulers for the most part, you know, like I, I try to get as far away from straight edges as I could. So a lot of the designs now are, uh, they lend themselves to to my imprecise uh, hand drawings, you know, and they're 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 forgiving for for the way I draw. But but in terms of uh, uh, what they're what they're sort of based on technologically, that's I'm 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 obviously a, a lover of futurism and uh, leading edge technology, and so they're based largely on wool gathering uh, that I have done. I'm not doing a lot of uh, deep research to figure out how to uh, justify 
the fact that, that my dudes wear sunglasses that change with their facial expressions. Like, you know, uh, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, Star Trek level stuff where, you know, it's a little bit researched. It kind of sounds plausible. It looks awesome. Um, that's it. <laughs> no, it was enough. I, I think sometimes people over-explain comic books too much these days. Well, for sure, have, yeah. Have since the 80s, <laughs> you know. I mean, now, I was a huge uh, fan of the original Ghost in the Shell uh, manga, and, you know, he would have pages of notes in oh, the yeah. back of, about how all this stuff worked, you know, and it was all deeply researched, and, and I found that to be super impressive, and I didn't read it. <laughs> um, Man, like, uh, I, I skimmed it. Uh, yeah, I, I would skim it, too, and get lost. I would be yeah. just like, I, I, I don't understand. I understand less than half of this, and yeah. this is really cool that people think this way. I don't. <laughs> well, for some people, they eat it up. Uh, and some creators yeah. can create stuff like that. You know, in, in the late 80s, when Grim and Gritty got to be a big thing, Mm-hmm. There was a couple of creators that put out projects that were grim and gritty, and they were super awesome, and everybody loved them. But then everybody started doing grim and gritty. Not fun. They weren't good at it. It was just, it was awful. And that's <laughs> well, the, you, you kind of need a palate cleanser every now and then. It can't right. be all one tone all the time, you know. Yeah, but some creators can do that, and it works sure. for them, and you really enjoy it. But you got somebody else trying to do it. It doesn't work. Um, yeah. So you know, I understand that. But when I when I read yours, I really enjoyed myself. I love the action. Again, I love the characters. Oh, but you. it was just um, it was a nice project. It wasn't anything I was like, well, he, he should be doing more of this. So I don't know. <laughs> it was I, I enjoyed myself. Um, I was trying. I was thinking when I came on, I was gonna have to convince Rook it was good, but. Rook's on your side already. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I am a huge 80s cartoon, you know, G.I. Joe, Mask, um, just mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And it, it, when I find stuff that gives me those nostalgic feels of that, of all that with, uh, you know, with great artwork. And I, I got to tell you, your artwork is great. You know, you're, you're, you're a little self-deprecating humor there for a minute about it. But like. Your your work on the vehicle lines, the 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 costuming and everything, it's consistent. You know, uh, it, it's not like you turn a page and you're like, this dude's in a totally different outfit, or this car looks completely different <laughs> from one page to another. You know, uh, you know, you've got great consistency in your work, and I mean, yeah, it's futuristic, but you know, and yeah, the sunglasses do move to a moat and everything, but that's just cool. <laughs> I, mean, I think so. I, I think it's hilarious. You know, like there's one of the great things about comics that, that, you know, separate them certainly from movies, especially is, is that they only have to be a little bit plausible in order to work, yeah. you know? And so it, it can, something like that, the, the cartoon sunglasses can play in a way that they might not, if it were a live action thing so that that's to me the fun of the the medium is that i can kind of warp the reality that i present in a way that that makes it seem consistent i'm glad yeah. you think that it does <laughs> yeah it, it does it, it really does because i i 
I can get very critical, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, especially when you've been doing stuff like this, talking to different creators and artists for so long. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I get on Kickstarter and I back projects that like, I'm looking at the art going, okay, you're a new artist. you know. <laughs> but, sure. And, and everybody's got to, got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody has to, power through if they're going to finish something you know it's it's one of the things that i that i tell people that are starting out is uh comics is a marathon not a sprint finish what you start take it to concept to completion live in the discomfort of it not being quite the way you envisioned um because you have to finish the pages in order for anybody to enjoy it as a completed piece it's not done until you have some bad pages in there and that's okay you know yeah. like any any uh very few comics are drawn twice um yeah. you know what i mean and, and unless it's like a graphic novel that you've slaved out over, over for 20 years and and you know redrawn every page multiple times you know which which to me is not an efficient uh, uh production method you kind of have to uh kind of have to just barrel through um there's a there's a uh physicist computer scientist that i like to listen to named stephen wolfram and he talks a lot about the the rule of uh calculational irreducibility which is basically uh you have to go through something in order to see how it turns out you can't simulate it you can't jump ahead you can't predict how it's going to be it just has to be done and then you see what you can have. Um, comics are like that. Yeah. That's sound advice. That's really sound advice. Yeah. Yeah. As an adventure game writer, uh, you know, I I am highly critical of my own work and will go back and, and rewrite. Well, I used to go back and rewrite constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have eventually gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, it's either good or bad. And there's no <laughs> amount of rewrite or redrawing that's going to fix it. Sure. You just get better with time and 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 practice with it. Absolutely, know? yeah. Your your first drafts do get better. Um, and and you know, like I, I I say that I'm I'm working on a section in the eighth issue right now uh, where I had I had written it. I uh, I think I had probably done a rough page breakdown in, in terms of like how much content was going to be on each page. Um, and then when I put together the package to uh, to pitch it to the publisher, it was a section that I chose to sort of represent where the story was all going. So, you know, in in issue eight, we're essentially at the top of uh, act three, if it were a feature screenplay. And so stuff is coming together and, and it's all, uh, you know, this is what it's all about. And I wound up condensing that for the pitch into a, a six page segment. Um, but now that I'm drawing it, it ballooned back to like 15 pages. Uh, so, so a l- very elastic with the, with the content. And, uh, you know, so I've got my, my page breakdowns and I've roughed in my pages and I'm, I'm doing the sort of first pass of lettering and, I'm still rewriting the scene. I'm essentially Marvel methoding myself, you know, where <laughs> there's a story and I'm drawing it, but I'm still like 
even when I'm adding the the captions and the and the dialogue that I'm still rewriting even in that uh, space. And so the the version that's going in this this eighth issue now is not what I originally wrote and not what was in the pitch to the publisher, but uh, but <laughs> something a, a new sort of hybrid of all those things. Um, and it's the best it's ever been, and I'm super excited about it. That's what gives life to it. Totally. I, 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 I think it keeps it fresh. Yeah, it keeps it fresh because anybody that's ever created anything, that's exactly. It takes on a life of its own. And mm -hmm. I do think that you need to have a plan. I do think you have to have some polish. For sure. But at the same time, I've seen some, some creators, they have everything mapped out. And, mm -hmm. you know, and more power to them if they can pull it off. But I find a lot of the stuff I like the best is the writer or an artist putting something together. And you always hear that. Well, the character just appeared and took over the whole story. Right. Uh, it's you may have a plan, but the journey is completely different sometimes you get to the end of it. Absolutely. It definitely pays to be responsive to the the thing as it evolves. Um and to me, that's the brilliance of the Marvel method is that, you know, you you have an idea and then you uh, you find a way to communicate it visually. And then the the dialogue and the captioning is is sort of a, a final polish pass to bring it all into focus um, because it's way easier to caption a picture than it is to draw a line of dialogue exactly as it's written or um, a, a scene is exactly as it's described, you know, and, mm -hmm. and if you're too slavish to your plan, then you lose some of the, the things that you didn't know were going to be the strengths of the piece when you create it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a subconscious thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> what are we dredging up? <laughs> Let's see yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, that's, I don't know. That's that's kind of what makes life interesting, besides comic books. For sure. But, well, and you're working with a publisher on this, so there has to be some flexibility when it, when you when you turn in your your work there. And do they come back and say, "Ah, uh, we'd like to see a little of this or a little of that"? Or are are you experiencing that with your publisher? Well, um, I'm working with. Uh, Dirk Manning and Drina Joe, who Dirk Manning is a writer that I've done a lot of work with in the past. Uh, Drina Joe is his editor. Um, so, so we have a, a team that, uh, and what we're turning into the publisher, it, they're pretty much just running with, you know, like nice. they, they are, they are pretty hands off or uh, alternatively very supportive of the, our creative work and, uh, you know, as long as it's not going to get them in too much trouble, they're happy to print, you know, <laughs> what, what we send them. Uh, the quality control is largely on our uh, on our terms. That's fantastic to work with a publisher like that. Yeah, yeah. One one question I have on, on a lot of this stuff, you, you do a lot of different things, and I find that amazing. But what... What was it like to do a comic book like you're doing, you know, all, all conventionally done by hand compared mm -hmm. to some of the digital things and other pieces? Was it cumbersome? Was it antiquated? Was it, did it feel good? I mean, 
it felt incredible. And uh, I started, uh, I, I was always really experimental with my uh, comic book work. Um, you know, when I was in middle school, I was drawing it on notebook paper and, and putting it on a Xerox copier and making, you know, these mini comics to, to sell to my friends. Um, as soon as I got a computer, I was experimenting with, uh, um, you know, doing vector-based comic books, doing uh, photo bash things, doing, you know, like I've, I've run the gamut, I think, with uh, experimenting uh, with including the digital stuff in my work. But in recent years, I have, as, as computers sort of took over every other aspect of our life, yeah, I, artwork was time I could spend not on the computer, you know. And so I don't want to go from drawing in Photoshop to filing my taxes to answering my email, you know, without ever leaving this box, you know, like uh, being able to set a big piece of paper on my drawing desk and turn it all around and, and you know, mess with real ink and splatter things with toothbrushes and and all this, you know, that's, that's my joy. That's, that's real living. So, uh, you know, I, I designed the, the project to make use of that. Um, and, and I, I do it that way so that I can spend some hours of the day, not on the computer. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, hands on. Hands on's a lot different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It has a tactile quality to it. It has a smell. It has a, um, you know, I the process that I use, I I have a light box. It's sort of a hybrid of of animation uh, methodology where I I do rough drawings and I light box a tight line and I light box the inks and and all of this. And so uh, there's a depth to it, and um, you know the the quality of the materials can be unpredictable. Um, but there's a, there's a kind of Zen to it that, that I really enjoy. And I like there being a physical object when it's done. Um, I like that it doesn't disappear if the power goes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've heard the light box, of, you know, for pencils. I've never heard light box for inking. Yep. That's, I'm not, I mean, I've never heard of that. So. Really? After you tighten up the pencils, you put it on the light box again and ink on another another board. Yep. Yeah, I have uh, I have just like uh, bond paper for uh, rough pencils and tight pencils, and and then I you know tape that to the back of a piece of bristle board, and I have it on the the light table. I've got like a glass top light table and a an LED film light underneath it that I can really crank up to push the the right. light through it. And so, yeah, I just ink on a clean piece of Bristol without any pencils whatsoever. And you don't have to erase. Yep. Wait, your light That's box. Another benefit. <laughs> yeah. Your light box is able to push through through Bristol. Yep. Holy For an LED light. How bright is that? What? How bright is that? That's got to be like super bright. It's a it's a light kind of like this. It's just a a flat panel of really? LEDs, but it's you know it, it's made for film lighting, so it's good and good and bright nice wow that's, that's <laughs> impressive I, i've i've never seen a light box that bright 
Yeah, I mean, if you if you just have like one fluorescent tube in there, it's a, I mean, it can it can be done. I have like a commercial light box that I use for for travel, and I can, you know, the Bristol is not super heavy. It's probably like sixty five pound or something. So, okay, it can it can push through that. But I I like this film light. Um, it doesn't mess around. It's even even if the sun is directly hitting my my board, I can still see what I'm doing. Oh, that's impressive. No, that's I'm cool. impressive. I that. <laughs> that, that's a cool setup. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's, seeing that, though, I mean, when I read your work, it's not like you're slavishly recreating something from pencils. It looks sometimes like you're just drawing from the ink. So, I mean, I'm saying that as a, I'm taking my hat off to it. It had a, a vibrancy, you know, um, an action line to it. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I think that's part of what the, the animation, um, process seeks to do. Like, you know, when you, if you've seen BTS stuff of, of Disney animators, the, uh, the character leads are basically just doing rough drawings, you know, and then they get cleaned up and the, and the sort of skill of the cleanup artists is to maintain the energy of, uh, the key animator, um, but refine it and sort of massage it so that it's more or less on model and um, and like this. It, it, you know, I always like the the energy of my uh, sketches, and so I, I tried to create a process where I could maintain that energy into the the final and make it look kind of. Uh, tossed off and very immediate um but but still have the control that i need to to make sure that it all hangs together yeah yeah well it does work it does work cool yeah absolutely so we're coming up to the end unfortunately here it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you for all of our listeners where can they find you across the internet uh, so the project page is riotforcecomic.com. If you want to see all my other random nonsense, it's austinmckinley.com. Fantastic. Oh, it's easy. Easy to find. Lots of content for you guys. Trust me, y'all are going to enjoy this. Go check out his links. You're here. All right. If you'd like to draw, we're always looking for fake comic book covers to use for the Facebook page <laughs> and the Facebook group to announce a new episode. Um, please help a brother out because sometimes it gets scary. Anyway, we can reformat it any way you like. Just leave a little bit of space at the top for the word cover. Um, we have a music break when we don't have a guest. So if you have any kind of MP3, I've always said musician, singer, performance artist. I've said mimes in the past. If you can record it, we'd like to play it. Unless it's smooth jazz. Yeah, even smooth jazz. Don't listen to Rook. We take <laughs> And we've played all languages, we've played all styles, and we get a lot of feedback from this. Um, people really enjoy these. Both of those things you can send to the contact page of the blog. Uh, and if you just want to say hi, go ahead and do that. Very few people do, by the way. And on the sidebar, we have a t-shirt. It's not to make us rich, it's just to help us with the hosting fees that come up every year. Have three different designs, listen to the show, wear the shirt. Brooke? 
everybody check us out bunch of dorks.com click on that cyclops we've got examples of stuff we talked about on this show and all the others along with links for you to be able to get easy access to but until next time everybody read more comics You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.